Welcome to Fright Night. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Wolfman's got Mars. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. Hey, everybody. M-O-O-N. That spells what's up. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Gold. That's right. If you haven't guessed by my oh-so-clever introduction, tonight we are tackling the stand. And we have with us a very special guest. Yeah, from the Mise on Scream podcast. I hear that one's a real wiener. It is a real wiener. (laughs) (laughs) The lovely Katie is joining us. Thank you for being here. My life for you! <laughs> My life for you! I, I, I will be personally serenading everyone with Baby Kid, You Did Your Man as the ending to this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he's a righteous man. Only trash kids version. He's yeah. righteous. <laughs> 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 Uh, so to clarify, uh, we're, we're talking more about the miniseries from 1994 than the 1978 book, but we will kind of touch on some plot points from the book. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So this is this is a 1994 made-for-television miniseries adaptation of Stephen King's *The Stand* that was aired in May of that year, um, and was directed by Katie's best friend, Nick Harris. He is my best friend. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And well, this was the 25th anniversary of its debut, and it also got this awesome 4K release from Screen Factory, and so they got a lot of celebrating for 2019 to 1994 *Stand*. Yeah, and I would argue this is probably, in my opinion, one of the Stephen King TV adaptations that holds up the best. Yeah, it has really strong acting and characters, except for Molly Ringwald. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Her bangs are the real star of the show. I I remember the first time I ever watched this, and and that was the moment I realized that outside of John Hughes movies, she's terrible. Like she's really not a good actress. Oh, okay. She she doesn't react well. Like she delivers her lines and then she just kind of is like, eh. like she doesn't know what to do with her hands and it was really distracting. She's definitely an ugly crier. That much I know. Yeah. <laughs> like Carrie Mulligan over here. <laughs> um, I yeah, think she doesn't bother me. Claire Danes. Have you ever seen Claire Danes? She's Watching my so-called uh, life. Claire, I love Claire Danes. I would do the dirtiest things to Claire Danes, but she is an ugly crier and oh, this is yeah. speaking from myself who also ugly crier i'm adorable 24 7 but the moment the tears start flowing just put a bag over my head like it's not pretty <laughs> so yeah so this book was uh based loosely originally on a short story by king called night surf that was originally published in 1969 in the literary journal which gives <laughs> hopes to me and every other aspiring uh our writer out there because if he can yeah. start in literary journals and magazines and the rest of us home well, and I distinctly remember that story from when I was, you know, a little 14, 15 year old writer having read it. And I like was trying to write my own version of Night Surf, but I couldn't not just write Night Surf. Like, <laughs> like I couldn't get around like, okay, we're on a beach and there's a plague and they're burning bodies and maybe it's, ah, oh, shoot, I'm just writing Night Surf again. <laughs> it's funny too, cause you're not wrong. I feel like everything I've ever done and I mean this as the highest compliment ever, is somehow an imitation of Stephen King. Like, he has had such a profound impact on who I am as not only a horror fan, but also as, like, an English literature person and a writer. 
Yeah. Well, something really interesting, because he and Garris did a um, interview together about the stand on postmortem, which is Mick Garris's podcast. Um, shout out, because he's my best friend. Uh, <laughs> um, and they, uh, they were talking about how the way King writes is he doesn't believe in plot. He does it. He's like, I don't really believe in plot. I believe in the characters all existing and being able to travel with them. And that was one of his biggest challenges in writing screenplays and transitioning is that you, you have to have a plot and you don't get to play with the character and think about the thoughts that they're thinking and stuff because he really does. And if, that, if anything is a testament to that, it's the stand, uh, how the, the characters weave. And I'll admit that I get through about half of it. And then I'm like, I feel like reading something else like Pet Cemetery. <laughs> like, um, but I, it, it, the intertwining and the way he weaves everything together, it's very Breakfast of Champions by Pavon. Yeah. And I think it's what makes it so hard to make a Stephen King movie out of a Stephen King book, because I think we saw that with it. We saw it with the stand. And he is, his stuff is so character driven and the heart of everything he does to me is characterization and theme. And I feel like that rarely ever like translates well, unless you said, like, like we said, unless he's at the helm of it. Um, I also think that at the end of the day, if we can just, while we're talking about him and his style, he deserves so much more fucking credit and deserves to be taken so much more seriously as like someone important in the canon of American literature, because I feel like because he writes horror, and because it's popular, people dismiss him in the academic world, and it pisses me the fuck off. Uh, academically, I was gonna say I think a lot of people think he's pretty awesome, but no, um, but like, yeah, you'd be, like you'd be hard pressed to find academic. him in any like syllabus for any American literature right. courses. I did in high school. Uh, we uh, my it's freshman year of high school did a book report on Cujo. They let me. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So should we summarize this thing? Oh. Okay, well, I will say that the the miniseries is broken up into four parts. Mm -hmm. We've got the plague, the dreams, the betrayal, and the stand. So I think the long and short of it is the government has concocted a super flu, and it gets out. And it is... Captain Trips. Captain, did you Captain say Captain Trips. Titties? Captain Titties. <laughs> that was my, that's, in my head. That's my flu. My flu is Captain Titties. No, Captain, yeah, Captain Trips. So yeah, it's, it's a super flu that is like crazy contagious and in a matter of no time is passed to pretty much the, you know, the entire world. Uh, there are, you know, a percentage of people that are immune to it and those survivors basically get split into two camps of good and bad, essentially. Uh, the good follow the path of Mother Abigail and the bad follow Randall Flagg, mm -hmm. who, um, I mean, we're, we're pretty much, you know, it's, it's good versus evil, light versus dark with those two camps. Uh, and, you know, after the two factions are, you know, settled, it then becomes, we need to send some of the good guys into the bad guy camp to find out what they're doing. Randall Flagg essentially wants to destroy the world. Mother Abigail's people want to save the world and rebuild and, you know, from this ash rise again. And um, Stephen King fails to write a good ending. Hey. But, you know... Hey. In the end, hey, the good person. Even even King jokes about it in, in chapter does. two. So <laughs> we're all allowed to say it now. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, that's the thing. You know, in the miniseries, he it's not a good ending. In the miniseries, it's not so bad. But in the book, it's just one of those things where he like he ends he like the 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 ending plot point happens. 
But then the story still goes on for like another hundred pages. Like like any good Stephen <laughs> King. Um, but I see, I would defend the book's ending because I really like the idea of Stu and Franny being like, well, fuck, we don't want to live here again. Like, yeah. it's, it's, we're just going to do the same thing we did. I think there's a poignant, like they missed the mark in the miniseries with the ending versus the book because I think just them staring at the baby and going, oh, I wonder if she'll be better. Like, no, bro, she won't. That's oh, the wait, you, did, you didn't dig the floating Mother Abigail head? Jesus, I can't <laughs> even fucking put, I can't even. I tried to pretend it didn't exist. Um, yeah, so. There was the Oscars style in memorium that, that yeah. played on the screen. It wasn't even like after the things, it was like during yes, no, the ending during. moment. Yeah. <laughs> I will give them though the, the CGI uh hand of God or whatever that destroys <laughs> that blows up the warhead. I will give them credit that that's better CGI than they had in the Langoliers because the Langoliers <laughs> had really, really bad CGI. So at least the hand was a little bit better. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Stephen King just, like, runs out of cocaine by the end of the book or what <laughs> happens, but, like, it's true, there's so many classic old-time stories of his that are bonkers good, and then you get to the ending, and you're like, really, dude? Like, and it's always been one of my issues, but, again, I love him to death, so he can do no wrong in my eyes. Well, and um, I, I like, I do love his short stories for that, because so, sometimes, because he knows they're short, he just ends them. And there are a few like that just will always like rivet me. Like Boogeyman is one of them that comes to mind and Nona where you just, he just ends it on this fever pitch of amazing. And it's like, he doesn't, he knows he doesn't have the word count to, to ruin the rest of it. So he just shuts it down and then it submits it and it's all history now. So it's a good thing. The short stories are good things. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's some of my favorite stuff of his. Um, I also think like, I think it's interesting. I, I was doing, I was doing a little research, Jackie. <laughs> and uh, I, I found out a couple things. First of all, he was apparently writing a fictionalization of the Patty Hearst story when he decided to shift gears and write about uh, the stand. Um, apparently, uh, Rob, uh, Flag was loosely based either in the Dark Tower or wherever he first came to invention um, on the guy who took Patty Hearst. Cap, like Donald DeFries, right? Is that the guy who took him? Um, and like apparently he was very much into this kind of mythology of like the working class heroes too at the time because he actually named the book <laughs> after. I'm sorry, We're... <laughs> can we talk about Randall Flagg's Canadian tuxedo? Like denim Jesus is hell, man. Nice, man. Hell is denim, and denim is hell. Hell, yeah. <laughs> no, that's one of my big takeaways. Is that if you really want to scare me, put a guy in stonewash denim on denim. Oh, like, I called him denim Dan in my notes. <laughs> it was like they were like, "Can we make the least scary looking motherfucker ever?" And they were like, "Yep, here he is." You know, I, I don't I'm know. sorry. Are not are mullets not scary to you? Because <laughs> mullets scare me. Oh, and that is that is a wig. He did yeah. not have long hair. Right, and they didn't even, initially, he didn't even have that. That was like a last-minute decision that they thought yeah. made the character better. He, they I thought he was more rugged. Yeah, they thought it would make him a little bit more, like, oh, God. 
to yeah. Bruce Springsteen-ish. But, and, but I guess Bruce Sting was the character for Sinise, though. He was the inspiration for Correct, Stu. yeah. And, and Jungle Land, the, the song Jungle Land is where he got the name to stand from anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think Bruce, there's Bruce Juice flowing all through this, which I personally love. I love the Bruce Juice. Yeah, Born to I mean, Run, man. Jesus, I'm, we're from Jersey. It's like a required. Don't yeah, say no. it. Don't fucking say I'm it. I'm going to say it. Bon, I'm Bon Jovi Jersey. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm Bon Jovi Jersey. She would. She would. Um, no, no, no. Greetings from Bedford Park, one of the best albums of all time. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a, uh, in this miniseries, mm-hmm. there is a bevy of cameos in this miniseries. So many cameos. So many cameos. Oh Wait, Especially I have a cameo from- count. From the horror community. I think it's, it, I, my final count was six, not including, um, not including, why am I forgetting his name? The lieutenant, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Okay, yeah, I wasn't counting. So in the horror community alone, in the beginning, the deputy or the sheriff, Joe Bob Briggs. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in one of the towns, one of the lookouts was Sam Raimi. What? Around, yeah. around the no, campfire. Sam Raimi is the guy that, uh, he, that Flag kills. Yeah, yeah. Kill he's like in that yeah. little town. He's like a lookout and then they go kill the judge. That's one of the guys. Is the guy that that flag kills is Sam Raimi. John Landis is one of the guys sitting around the campfire. Yeah. Um, I think there was another one, but that's the one that I remember. Well, because I wrote down like in my notes, I'm like, is that Joe Bob Briggs? Is that yeah. Sam Raimi? Is that John Landis? <laughs> oh my god, I'm so busy. Well, and then of course of we got we got King and Mick being besties in Freeland Free Zone, mm-hmm. uh, and my personal all time goddamn favorite, Kathy Bates. Oh yeah, she was amazing. It was just my favorite in that, like Ray her Flowers, Ray Flowers the radio, in the radio station. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay, right. and, and I love know. her. Like she was just so badass. She just keeps recording. Just like they're coming in. They got guns. I don't know what's gonna happen here. And it was, it was just so committed, awesome. I can't help get the vibe that like that's what Kathy Bates would do in real life. Like she yeah. seems like that kind of fucking badass that she's in real life. There was Agreed. no acting there. That's what Kathy Bates would do in that apocalyptic no, situation. She would. She would. Well, do and that. she had just come off winning the Academy Award for Misery, and she comes on. She's just like, King wants me to do something. Cool, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's whatever. the kind of person she is too. Yeah. Uh, I think another cameo, um, and I haven't double-checked this, but I'm pretty sure it's the same. The hotel in Vegas where Randall Flagg stays, I'm pretty sure that's also Biff's from Back to the Future 2. I I was thinking that. I think think it's the same set. I think it is. And I got super excited that they were At least the exterior. yeah. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah. Wow, you guys know so much more. I was just so busy, like, fo- um, ugh, I'm sorry. Focusing on the extensive plot. Yeah, I, I, I missed almost all of that. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. I want to go back and rewatch. Um, yeah. This, to me, this book also creates the dystopian subgenre. Like, I mean, I know there were books before this, and I did, I, I looked into those. Yeah, I mean, before. Matheson, come on. You, absolutely. Um, <laughs> although I, I more credit, yeah. But, like, I definitely think that this book like really wrote the fucking like set the stage for what would become like such a popular YA subgenre. Well, know? and I um, find it so interesting too because he d- he wanted to do his Lord of the Rings and he yeah, just wanted to get very, it. Yeah, his, but he wanted it to be very real world, very like the inspirations come from Tolkien and Matheson. Yeah, and I think it's also very Americanized. Like I think a lot of what is done with the idea of 
ending the world is ending America. And I think he plays a lot on that, both in the book and the miniseries, where it's like, you know, kind of playing with like the, the notion of what is America and is it ultimately an, a failed experiment or a good one. And I think there's always a glimmer of hope with King in America. I think like so many of us, he has to end things thinking there's, there's some sort of hope there. Yeah. You know? So I have a question. Yep. So the world's ending and you're getting the dreams. Do you go to Flag or Abigail? Oh, mayhaps I go to Abigail, mayhaps I go to Flag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Jackie, she's going to Flag. I'm not going to Flag, but I'm not going to Abigail either. You're Harold. Is what <laughs> <laughs> also, what does being evil cure acne? Because the, the worse he gets, the, the, like, the, the more spots clear up. Oh my God. And can we just talk a minute about that outfit? Oh, every like, outfit he goes. He, wears. he goes from this like tortured poet to mm-hmm. like try really like wannabe studded leather chaps, alligator boots. Like, when he's like gonna get some when they did, and he wears the shirt with the roses on it. Like, oh, yeah. are you yeah. Parker life, Harold? Parker Lewis? What are you doing? I know. I love Parker Lewis. <laughs> I love Parker Lewis. Um, yeah, no, he's he is one of my favorite characters though because I think he's it's so fascinating because like. Scene, the scene in the basement is what that gets me all Oh my god. Like, all right, disco queen. Yeah, like, don't mess with my tune. Where's my note, Marissa? This one is for you. <laughs> my, note was, my note was a couple of blowjobs later, and now Harold is an aggressive, toxic male. <laughs> he is toxic. <laughs> like, where do you get off, Harold? Like, all of a sudden, you're like a fucking abusive spouse. Yeah. Like, fuck I know. He's like, don't screw with my disco. Yeah, woman. He'll be like, get yeah. out of here, woman. Um, I'm like, I can't with this kid. He deserves the death he gets. Yeah. Um, and how about Nadine? I mean, in the book, she's a lot better developed. Like, she's mm-hmm. this teacher. She's, like, this lonely soul before it yeah. all happens. Yeah. Um, but I really like her character and, like, the way she, she ends by killing, like, killing herself to fuck him, you know? like I really like, is it Laura San Giacomo? Mm-hmm. I, I like her in pretty much everything she does. And Same. I thought she pl- she played the, that tortured, like sometimes it was a little over the top, but I think it like worked really well that you never, you never gave up on her. Even yeah. when it looked like she was giving up on herself, you always kind of thought she's going to do the right thing in the end. And then she does, even though it means, you know, taking yeah. her own life. Well, like there's so many awesome, like weird female characters in, in this story. Like, I agree that Nadine is very empowered even when, I gotta be honest with you, I don't remember the rape and subsequent behavior being so fucking affecting when I was little. I probably didn't get it, I guess, in 1994. Yeah. You mean the fireside, like. Oh my God, it was brutal. <laughs> when he like rutted her. Yeah, and, like, and then you had to watch him like gyrate. I was like, come on, this is made for TV, bro. Um, and, and like, I liked, and I think it's just the dude who plays Lloyd being a lot better than he had any right to be, like an, uh, of an actor. But like I liked Lloyd's occasional show. Oh, Miguel Ferrer. Yeah, I love like he's him. awesome. Oh, I love yeah. him. He's a great actor because he brought a level of depth to Lloyd that I'm not sure is there in the books. You know what I mean? Like we're we're because Lloyd in the books really to me is pure evil. Like he's like a dude yeah. who does bad because that's how he rolls. But like Lloyd in the miniseries, I find myself thinking he's gonna change every time. Yeah, I'm I like, feel like I would I would be where like Lloyd was <laughs> in the apocalypse, where it's like this guy. He, he's picking me up. He's real, rebuilding the city. They got the lights turned on and all everything picked up before everybody else. He gave me a purpose when I felt like I was purposeless and I was going to lose everything because everyone around me died. And then to feel indebted to that, even if you're not like okay with the overarching plan 
And like, you have to, you kind of keep digging yourself in this hole and you're just like, I get, I mean, it's, you know, I feel like I'm indebted. Like, well, well, I feel yeah, like that's where I would end up. <laughs> well, you know, and, and that's exactly what I see in Lloyd where it's like, you know, he has these moments of, I mean, he knows that he's on the wrong side. He knows that flag is on the wrong side, but especially in the, in, in the book, it comes through that everyone in Lloyd's life has failed him, has stabbed him in the back, has mistreated him. And Randall Flagg comes along and is the first person to ever lift Lloyd up in any sense. Mm -hmm. You know, he, you know, he gets him out of jail. He keeps that promise. He makes him his number one. You know, he, he puts people, you know, Lloyd becomes important because of Flagg. And I think it's even like a line in the, in the movie where the one guy tries to say like, Hey, we're going, mm -hmm. come with us. And he's like, I can't leave him. And he's like, you're crazy. He's like, maybe I am, but like, yes, I am. yeah, but like, he's like, you know, when everybody else in the world doubted me, flag, flag was there for me. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much that he wants to be there because he believes in what flag is doing. He just has this loyalty to flag because no one has ever treated him as good. Yeah, And I think that ties so nicely to the theme, a couple of the themes about serving a deity of some sort, because I think number one, inherently evil and bad is going to be more appealing. Like it's going to do more for you, especially when you're lost and you're hopeless. I think it's a lot easier to subscribe to any ideologies. What? What are you laughing at? I told Marissa that I had like, I had my Marissa moment yeah. and I did a little research. Did a little, did a little research. Did a little, ah, research. Did a little research. I did a little research. Did a little research. And I actually kind of associated some of the characters with like religious, not religious archetypes in the sense of like actual religious figures, but like people, like people in general. Okay. Like, and I have like Harold as, as that, as the follower who was just so desperate to find something to be accepted in that when flag comes along, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the evangelicals where right. he goes to that extreme and he found mm -hmm. something that will accept him. So he runs to that. Um, I do like his, I was misled. No. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Ralph was my, his, he's my true believer. He like is? Ralph yeah. has always believed <laughs> Ralph was raised yeah. Catholic. He was confirmed. He stayed with it the whole time. Mm -hmm. Stu is my born again because <laughs> Stu was kind of out of it yeah. for a while. And then something <laughs> happened and he saw the light. Mm -hmm. Nick is my friendly atheist who I relate to very much. <laughs> he doesn't believe but, I think Glenn fills that role. But too. he, he's but like he's on kind of like the side of good, yeah. you know, like he knows yeah. the right or wrong. And then I said Larry was my, uh, he was my uh, holiday Catholic that only goes to church on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Of course, if we're going with traditional archetypes, Fran is obviously <laughs> our Virgin Mary. If we're going for like legit, oh yeah, because she archetypes. does no, no daddy. Yeah, she she is our Virgin. I Mary. mean, obviously there's a daddy, but <laughs> it's Harold. Um, <laughs> no it was it's her dead boyfriend jess right right yeah right, yeah. yeah no what i really like what i really liked about glenn what i was like when you were saying that and i remember thinking it as i was watching it because i kind of was like, like there's a lot of you know the very religious overtones to it and the kind of you have to pick a side and it's like well, what if i'm somebody that doesn't want to pick a side you know that kind of thing and i liked i think glenn made a lot of the like god and devil like stuff really palatable for somebody who's a lot more agnostic um 
or like any other type of thing where it's like it's it's there's a force of good and there's a force of evil and if you call that god then that's your business and if you call that the devil then that's your yes. business i might call it something else but we have to acknowledge there's an evil force and there's a good force yeah and i i like it's almost I, star wars eskian in my eyes because there's a light side there's a jedi in the dark the yeah there's the yeah. good side in the dark the bad side and they balance each other out and i think that king one of the things I found fascinating about this book is that it's really the most religious he's ever gotten in writing. And like, I think he himself has been like, oh, this is the, the dark tale of Christianity and my struggles with religion and all this other crap when he talks about it. Yet so many like Bible thumpers use this book as like, you see, God will be, you know, like I read so many articles that were like, yay, Jeebus. And the stand shows yeah. that. And see, and I, and I'm with you, Katie. I think that it is, a very palatable way to look at this notion of struggling with religious identity and struggling with joining sides, if you will, and, and what it means to have faith. And, and, and I love that about it because I don't think he's shoving religion down our throats. And, and yet so many people interpret it that way. And I find it mm -hmm. very interesting, yeah. but I like what this, this book has to say. See, especially, it. especially in the, in the third story, in the betrayal, uh, one of my final notes of that is things are getting super Jesus-y up in here uh, because it does start to get really, for someone that doesn't believe, um, you know, I kind of started to write things ranting about, you know, Mother Abigail leaves because of the sin of pride. And I think the idea of sin, for the most part, is like bullshit. Like there were these, like, you know, sins that were created that basically were made to keep people in line you know so uh, oh see i took her as like a christ-like figure where like she she went away because like christ she like couldn't handle the burden of it all and felt like she was like fucking up and, and again i would probably argue i'm the most ar arguably the more religious of the two of us not arguably i'm definitely <laughs> the more religious because i am definitely like agnostic at at best and and episcopalian at worst but I definitely <laughs> at I worst yeah <laughs> at least in Jackie's eyes um but I definitely I do I I kind of see where you get that I think that why this you feel that way though is because their god or what they call god or the white or whatever really is demanding and fucked up and yeah. asks a lot of them and I think that that's a really interesting statement on faith and how hard and grueling it can be and, and what a sacrifice it can be to fucking hold on to something so abstract and, and have it demand so much of you when you're not even sure that it's there. So like, I could see where that was off putting to someone who doesn't buy into it, mm -hmm. but to someone who kind of likes the notion of faith, even if in its most abstract forms, I, I dug that. I dug the idea of we're asking a lot of these, like, fuck, they had to go and like die for it. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't know. I found that interesting, but it was off putting to you. Yeah, because religion's bullshit. So, well, <laughs> one of my one of my favorite lines that Flag says is when Nadine when he's in one of Nadine's dreams and he says some like quote and Nadine's like, "Is that the Bible?" And Flag goes, "Daniel Steele, I think." <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love those kind of lines. And 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 there's no denying the appeal of Flag and what he sells. And I think that that's a really poignant statement. Not even so much on religion to me as it is a statement on like politics and American life <laughs> like if I could just completely shift gears here like <laughs> I don't even know so much that this to me is a struggle of like religion versus like the devil versus God I think it's more of a struggle of like being a good person 
maybe versus being like trying to be American and trying to be good versus trying to be American and be America. <laughs> like, I, I, I hope you're trying to, I'm not trying to say anything like towards one group or another. I'm saying that I think there's two Americans. I think there's good people and there's shitty people, right? Well, just like anywhere I, I, else I in just, the world. Uh, that's what I'm saying. That's my, that's my face. That's but the face this, I'm making. Is that, I think that's just a world thing. I think but he, like, but he makes it an American version of that with the Midwest yeah. as a representation with Las Vegas being like the, the height of like, you know, sin is as yeah. you kind of pulled it. I mm. think you're right. I think that's the struggle everywhere. I know it's the human condition, but I would argue that this book really resonates because it's, it's a very Americanized version of that struggle. Well, that, in, in the miniseries itself, at the end, when Ralph and Larry are, like, you know, tied up and ready to be drawn and quartered, the one guy this who stands up, he goes, this isn't what we do. This isn't what Americans do. Yeah. Um, you know, yes. he actually, you know, he flat out. And, and in, the, in the book, that speech is a lot bigger, and it kind of calls to this idea of the history of this country is fucked up what are we? Are we the bad guys? Are we the people who rip people apart limb by limb? Are we, or do we stand for something better? And I think that's the constant struggle that is uniquely American. I think one of the things I've learned about taking on America as my cultural identity is that we got some fucked up shit we've done and we need to reconcile with that every day as American, like on a, on a broad scale. And I think that to me, it's fascinating the way this book plays like that because are, is that America? Is flag America or is the new hope, new land, whatever they call themselves? Boulder free zone? Yeah, Boulder free, Boulder zone. free zone. There are America. no boulders in that zone. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think that that's a very fascinating question. And even if you took it on like a governmental level, like what works? D- does democracy work? Because I got to tell you, by the end of the story, they're very questioning whether or not their Boulder new, new zone, free zone free is going to work. Right. And we know the dictatorship doesn't work, but there were some good ideas that he had. <laughs> well, and there was, there's the one part where they're talking about how like turning the power back on and everything that's happening in the Boulder free zone is very like, we're just, what we're just going back to the way it was. And maybe I identify with Glenn, um, but, like, <laughs> um, but like how he talks about like, we are, we wiped ourselves out. And we're just going to say, okay, let's go back to what we were doing before. Obviously, something out there decided that we're not allowed to live anymore. And so, like, except for these particular people. And so, and we're just going to, what, go back to normal. Like, we're going to have democracy and we're going right. to, like, have all this stuff. It's like the, the, one of the inspirations that King mentions for this story is there being, like, a, a chemical spill mm-hmm. and the winds were blowing in the direction of this sheep farm and all the sheep died. And he heard on the news one of the anchors say, like, if the, or sign, I don't know who said it, um, that if the wind was blowing in the other direction, Salt Lake City would have been gone. And it's kind of like that. It's like the it, the, the wind will blow and you might be gone. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a force we don't understand is trying to get us to live differently, and we're just going back to our normal. Uh, I think it's it's something. If I could reference a uh, mise on scream episode, oh, that you guys too. that you guys talked about. I believe it was in your Night of the Living Dead episode about how it's kind of like it's like that species population check, like every yeah. other species has this kind of built-in population check where it will plague itself and it will wipe itself out. And the only reason that humans, you know, aren't wiped out is because we are advanced enough to combat 
the natural plague that tries to wipe us out. And, yeah. you know, this, this speaks to the idea of at some point there could be, there could be a, a plague that we aren't ready for. There could be the super flu. Captain Trips could come through and we're just, we're just not ready. We're not equipped. It's no. too fast. It's too strong and it's too smart for us. And then suddenly we're, you know, a third of our population. Yeah. Right. And is, is the stand then good versus evil or is the stand us fighting against our own nature? That's like what I really get from this, because I think that at the end of the day, the capitalism and the consumption and so much of what makes America, America is what kills us at the end. And you're right. We just fucking turn around and go right back to it. And I think the stand, so like, I think Stephen King, like so many of us is so torn on this. Cause like so many of you, he's obsessed with like the everyday, every man, like hero, like the, the working class hero trope. Yeah. And I think we see that with characters like Stu I think we see it with all of his writers because at the end of the day these people are by no like Stu is just a normal dude and he even jokes about like being rednecky but he's wise from obser observation and from experience and from looking at the world around him and that I think that's why King also so many of his protagonists are writers because I think writers by nature also observe the world around them more and I think that what he sees is that Yes, this small town idea is so quaint and so lovely in theory, but is it, can it be sustained in real life? You know what I mean? And I think that he, like so many of us, struggles with what it means to be American and what the identity of America really is, and if we are white or black. And that's why I've always loved this story, because I think it speaks to the heart of the individual, like, would you, would you hear Abigail or would you hear Flag? But it also speaks to our larger conscience. Are we a country that can stand for something good, or are we the bad guys and we just don't know yet? Mm -hmm. Well, and something else too, and I don't, maybe you guys can clear this up for me because I'm, I, maybe I, yeah. but um, is that it seems like both parties get both dreams. True. Like that, you know, the, the people in Abigail's camp talk about seeing the dark man and immediately identifying him as a force of evil. So I kind of like got this interesting like thought that like it's, yeah, you might get one or the other, but you might get both and you're ultimately the one who gets to decide where you go, whether you're going to follow Abigail or whether you're going to follow Flag. Yeah, like, because Nadine and Harold are proof of that, right? Yeah. Like yeah, because you have free will, well, and you can pick, but then if you go to Mother Abigail's side, you lose your free will, because religion demands you to do things, so. Wow. No, it's, she even says it in the book, or she even says it in the movie that like you, if you, when she tells Stu and all of them, like, you got to go with the clothes on your back, you got to walk, you got to make it on your own way. You know, she's like, it's your choice. It's your free will. But and then. something else, I just, this kind of bothers me. Maybe it's because I never got to the end of the book, but what they just, <laughs> they, two things. One, if, if we're talking Tolkien here, like you, Stu's our Bilbo, right? Or, uh. Frodo, Frodo, Frodo. So what, like Frodo breaks his leg on the way to Mordor and Sam and the rest of them have to go. And then they just stand, they just stand. And then something supernatural happens and blows up a nuke. And they oh, don't even no, actually no. do anything. Like they didn't, if they didn't go, Trashman would have brought the nuke anyway and they would have, it would have blown up. Like what, it made no sense that they just followed her blindly into their own death and then nothing came of it. They, they were not redeemed. Religion! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. I think, I think, um, I think that's all fair. I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it is. It, it, it talks to sacrifice. 
I think I, I just when I when I hear you speak that way, and I get it because I, I get it too. I think a lot of free will gets crushed by so many of society's like things, like religion and fucking duty and all that shit. But is flags more appealing then? Like, I guess. Well, you don't have. I would say you don't have free will on flag side either. Right. So because so like where people do you are get pl- your free will from that you you can't go with either. You have to just be free. You have to be, you can't, it's not about, you, you can't pick a side. It's, it's like, you know, yeah, you've got good or you've got bad because those are the two defining, you know, camps, but then there's gotta be, yeah, but I think you can be a good person and not have to affiliate yourself to somebody else's agenda. I think it all comes down to, at least for me, it's, it's my, it's my, one of my favorite quotes ever because I always remember it and it's from Dogma and Chris Rock says it and I've said it before on me on screen and I'll say it again. It's yeah. You can change an idea. Changing a belief is harder. So having good ideas and acting upon those ideas and then being able to change and say, okay, I'm going to pivot that because obviously this was wrong is the difference between like a, a real, like that religious fervor, evangelical, uh, you know, that kind of thing versus like just living a good life. And like, and I think there are people out there who adhere to religions and understand that they get to like believe certain things, but also like, you know, I, I, because I have my own free will, I can choose the path that works for me. And I think that it's, as long as you keep it an idea, but if you, when you subscribe to it, like it's a belief and you can't get away from it, that's when you're fucked. Yeah, I also kind of live by that that rule too. And I also love the quote in Dogma when they talk about the cup. Like when I when raising my kids, I've had a very I've I've also lived by this motto too, where like <laughs> when you're little, your cup is little and it's easy to fill. And you need that cup because bad shit happens when you're little and you need something to rely on, something to have faith in. But when you get bigger, your cup is bigger and it's a lot harder to fill that cup. I love both of those quotes so much. Mm. I think that if I could like make my argument for why I do consider myself someone with faith, it would be that movie because I do have these ideas and, and I like them and they're selfish and they, they bring me comfort. And I acknowledge that. Cause like I have a husband who's an atheist too. And he very much is like, that's just you trying to comfort yourself. And fuck yeah, it is. But I've never heard of anybody. I was going to say like, that's, I can say that that is truly one of the perks of having a belief. Yes, that's a perk that I don't have yes, is yeah, I don't it. have a belief that's so strong that in times of strife, like I can just kind of, you know, I don't have the, I can say a prayer or I can kind of reflect to my deity of choice and somehow feel comforted by that. Like you've got perks that I don't have yeah. in having your belief, which and, is and nice. Again, I would, I would admit own the selfishness of it, own the self-servingness yeah. of it. But I also know myself and I know that when put, if push came to shove, I would do whatever the fuck I feel. See, but I don't think that that's <laughs> selfish. I mean, for someone that has that belief, that kind of the need for that comfort, the need for that connection with your belief, it, 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 it's like needing food. It's like needing water. It's, it's part of your existence. It's part of what makes you get up and go every day. So I wouldn't call that selfish. I would just, I mean, that's just kind of part of your, your healthy lifestyle of you need to eat food every day. You need As to she drinks sleep. her water. As she, you know, with her water. Yeah, like you need, you need food, you need sleep, you know, and for some people, they need that belief. You know, I, there are plenty of people in my family that, that kind of need that daily, you know, affirmation with their God that, that kind of, you know, my mother says prayers in the morning when she's brushing her teeth and bless my daughter and, you know, keep my family safe the whole nine. 
it's, it's a part of some people's day. Yeah. And again, like I said, I, I am sometimes that, yeah. I'm jealous of, of the comfort that people can receive from their religion sometimes. So it's like, you know, I'm going to sit here and, 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 you know, I'm going to talk a lot of shit on religion, but it, <laughs> obviously if someone believes I'm not talking shit on anybody, this is me personally disclaimer. If you want to believe whatever <laughs> you want, like I, I don't, I, I would never push my ideas of atheism on anybody. I would make the argument though that organized religion has done more harm in our world and history than good. Right? Yeah. I mean, any well, fucking person with half a brain knows that. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So I'm going to throw down one of my I don't have very many complaints about this miniseries. I, 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 I shouldn't. <laughs> but I will say that somewhere around the third act, uh, the betrayal, is where you realize that if you haven't read the book, you're probably a little lost. Because yeah. they don't do a lot of explaining of stuff. Because more than once watching this, it's been a while since I've watched this, and when the third part started, like suddenly Stu is, you know, doing an appen ap appendectomy on someone. Mm -hmm. And like, there's all these other characters. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, did I miss, did I miss something? Like, where did these people get so introduced? so many characters, yeah. The no. trash can man. Yes. Like, looking at him at the beginning and looking at him at the end, if you haven't read the book, like, you, you have to it. realize yeah. that he is, his face is, he's got radiation poisoning. Because when mm -hmm. he went down to get the warhead, mm -hmm. he was exposed to so much radiation that he's pretty much just melting away. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's one of those things where I don't think everybody fully, if, if you know, you don't fully understand every single thing that's happening if you've never read the book just watching the miniseries because so much stuff obviously you have to leave stuff out i mean yes it's a six-hour miniseries but this was also like a ridiculously is this the longest one or is it the longest one the uncut version of this is the, longest the uncut version mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah um and i think this set some sort of record for the most talking characters in a miniseries yeah it's 125 oh wow 120 yeah. i have it written down yeah it was, uh, it was a hell of a fucking lot though for speaking lines like yeah it's like yeah literally record setting and yeah you're right there's just so much depth to every character that you just can't possibly get yeah. to that um, well and larry you know like larry's not as developed as he is in the book and i love that well, and I will say, as somebody who has never read the second half of the book, <laughs> um, but there, I think this is where Garrus really shines, and I think that the King's developed ability to tell the story shines too, is because even with like the you know, okay, I don't see the radiation poisoning, but it's obvious that like he's decaying and you can kind of get the sense that something has happened to him whether it's he's been out in the sun too long which is what where we first saw him or he's like melting because of radiation and stuff like that you you see that he's falling apart the same way that people and with the flu did and th and th there's this kind of too starting with the appendectomy talking to that point is like it's okay that I didn't meet this character I understand that they're on the road and they're trying to get by the best they can and sometimes really terrible things happen. And so it wasn't, and, and that's what was introduced, that was what was shown. It's this kind of show don't tell thing that I thought was done so well in this because it like, I don't necessarily, yes, reading the book would give me more information, but it's not necessary to my viewing for that to be in there, for me to understand that, 
okay, yeah, they're on the road and shitty fucking things are happening because yeah. it's, it's that hard to get to where they need to go. There were parts where it was obvious that like, okay, like it would, this would be more enjoyable if I had more information. Um, but I can still watch it and accept it as is and enjoy what's happening. Agreed. Yeah. yeah agreed. Garris did such a good job. I mean, like you said, like 100 plus speaking characters, Mm -hmm. like this is just, this is a cast of too many, (laughs) (laughs) but it was, it was, uh, I think, yeah, like I said, outside of that, you know, this is one of those mini series where I will, I will, no pun intended, I'll stand by it. Uh, It's, uh, (laughs) it is, it's such, it's such a good mini series. And like, you know, it, it was like when you're flipping through TV and it like pops up on sci-fi. Like it's one of those like no matter what you're doing, oh, you stop doing it and you're gonna watch. Yeah, you just it. put it on. But no matter what point you're on, you just you just go from there yeah. because mm-hmm. the stand is on. So a couple of random notes I had running through the old head while I was watching. <laughs> First of all, apocalypse happens. I'm fucking useless. My skills are reading and writing because like they turned the entire electric outlet circuit back on. Like I couldn't even begin to do any. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a judge. I'm not a politician. I am useless in the apocalypse. <laughs> True story. Number one. Okay, you're not invited to the commune anymore. Yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> you don't want me. Honestly, you don't want me. Maybe comic relief is the only thing I bring to the table. Okay, well then maybe also, we could deliver. Also, if you had to cook and eat someone, I'd probably be a good choice. A lot of meat on these boats. You know what I'm saying? Um, number two thought I had is sending. Tom and hypnotizing him the most unethical fucking thing I've ever seen. You're you're basically like it, it sat so not right with me this time. It was the first time I ever had this thought because I get that he's so innocent, he's so pure, and it's the perfect weapon against flag because he's so simple, but they literally hypnotize him and trick him into going. Well, so there's two two facts to this. I mean, two parts to this, of course. The first is that I like the idea that they realize they need to send him because Flag can't sense him. Flag Flag said he knew from the very beginning who he knew for, who the other two were. They were waiting for the judge, and then he went to the the number two. And but because of the limited mental capacity of Tom, that he couldn't see him, so he was blocked. And I thought that was like a really clever way of like keeping Tom out of harm's way, so to speak. Another thing too, is that Flag, Flag also appears in the Dark Tower. Um, Wizard and Glass is where mm-hmm. like, he appears as Flag. So Roland and his merry band uh, wind up in this alternate United States where the plague Captain Trips has taken over. And at the end, uh, the man in black appears to them, but he's going by the name Randall Flag. And a large part of the Dark Tower, or uh, not large, that's right, but one of the running themes is that Roland has this ability to hypnotize people and get people to do things and say things and see things. And I thought that kind of tying in with the mythology of like that, the automatic kind of hypnotism of mm-hmm. being able to create these vessels of secrecy because of that, that, that was really fun, at least for me to watch and see how he played it into this, this story. Yeah, it's so is the the question that I like is is Flag just like a demon or a devil? Like what is he supposed to just evil? Like I've always like kind of never been able to put the so I it's so, on that. I mean he's uh, he's technically a wizard. Yeah, because uh, of Eyes of the Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. I um, never I never pegged him for like the devil himself. Like a de- like a I yeah, like a you know lower no. level demon me. I don't know. Because yeah. it's like, you know, when you have the if his polar opposite is Mother Abigail, and though she's depicted as so somewhat Christ-like, Christ-like yeah. she's not Jesus. So I took it as like, 
she's not Jesus, so he's not the devil. But they're definitely, you know, <laughs> versions of them. Like, so, you know, yes, she, she's not Christ, but maybe she's a saint. He's not the devil himself, but definitely some sort of demonic yeah. and entity. So if, if you look at the mythology of the Dark Tower, the way I've always thought of it is that there are the pillars that hold up the, the tower, the beams. Um, and then there's these auxiliary beams that also kind of anchor the tower. And, but they're at each of the ends of the, the auxiliary beams are the, the good are the, good the beams. And then there's these auxiliary beams. And at each end of those are the demons. And the demons break the beams first. So one of the demons is Pennywise. One of the demons is Randall Flagg. One of the demons is something else, another story of his. Or at least that's what I've always thought of it. And I'm sure there's other like fan theories out there that back it up. But as, as far as I know, it seems like most normally would be they're demons of the beam, which means they're more powerful than a standard demon, but they're not like all evil. They're still, they're still disciples of something worse. The Crimson King, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. And I never read Hearts of Atlantis, so I know he's in that too. That's the only other one that I heard he's in that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Do um, the soundtrack though? Tag text. Yeah. Okay. I I got the distinct pleasure of telling Mr. McGarris that Don't Fear the Reaper is probably one of my that opening sequence is probably mm-hmm. one of my all time favorite things. Just panning through, and they did a total fuck you to the censors too with it because they, one of the things they were specifically told not to do was shoot any dead bodies with their eyes open. Mm-hmm. And a, one of the shots is them just panning into this woman with her eyes wide open um, with uh, that song playing. And it's so good. <laughs> yeah. And it uses like Don't Dream It's Over. They sing Eva Destruction. So Don't Dream It's Over was originally supposed to be Fun, Fun, Fun by the Beach Boys. Oh. And King, King, <laughs> King fought for it and wanted it. And Garris was just like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> No, I think Don't Dream It's Over is so much better. Yeah, no, that one definitely is more uh, atmosphere setting than, I think There's Fun, Fun, Fun by the song, Beach Boys, I think would take you out of it. Yeah. With yeah. Don't Dream It's Over is a bit more poignant. Well, and that was, I think, the, the point was he wanted something that idiosyncratic and that kind of like off the normalcy of it. Because there are so many shots in this with the, the idiosyncrasies. The other one that I absolutely love is when they turn the power back on and the first thing we pan to is all of the houses with the dead bodies yeah. and the electricity turning back on. Yeah. <laughs> and they've got the woman at the table and her mixer turns on and you're like... <laughs> What's funny is, is in the book when, when that happens, when the electricity is turned back on in the town, they actually have to assign groups of people to run to all the different houses to turn everything off. Yeah, yeah they, they allude yeah. to that in the- Yeah, they make a mention of a turning off committee. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's- So <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna present you guys with a question. Okay. Fuck, Mary kill. Okay. Stu, Nick, and Larry. Oh, that's a good one. I know mine, but I'm gonna open the floor to you guys. All right, ready? I'm ready. All right, I'm killing Stu. Uh-huh. Fucking Nick, marrying Larry. Me too! Ah! Katie. <laughs> that's, that's really tough. That's a tough one. It is. Because uh, I think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to deal with a guy who doesn't talk. Uh, Me neither. Yeah, so, right. so, so fuck Nick, kill Stu, marry Larry. Yeah. Larry have, is a loyal boy, man. Oh, I love that. Like, I have Nadine, more- like, throws herself at him, and he's just like, I'm married. 
I know. He's like, what are you right in he's front of my wife? Post-apocalypse like, married. And it's like, <laughs> right? Yes. Dude, I have I have more than one note. Uh Larry is my favorite. I love Larry. Where is it? Uh where's where's the where's the I'm, oh yeah, there it is. So Larry's my favorite. I fucking love Larry. Larry with a beard, hot damn. All right, now this is the only, <laughs> this is the only one that matters. F Mary Kill. Okay, time out. What? Can you please say it right? You can't you can't say F Mary Kill and play F Mary Kill. What's the game called? Fornicate Mary Kill. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um Randall Flag, <laughs> Ratman, and Lloyd. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting you mine while you think. Obviously, I'm marrying Randall. That's my long-term game. I'm going to have a lot of fun as, like, the princess of darkness and having his baby. <laughs> I think F rat man, because I feel like there's a lot going on there to that sweet little outfit. And I kill Lloyd. <laughs> no, I am, I am definitely killing rat man. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't. It doesn't I, do it for you. It's the voice. It doesn't do it. Yeah, it's the way he talks. It's like, I, I don't, don't want to like, I don't want to be with, you know, some Yoda type. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you speak in short, it's the short sentences. It and like very, yeah. Talking about himself in the third person. That's yeah. True. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but that, in the bedroom is where you sure. can get away with that. That is true. <laughs> I, I think, you know what? I think I'm with you again. I think I'm going to kill Lloyd. Yeah. Because he's, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I have to, I have to, you know, fuck flag and marry Lloyd because I love Miguel Ferrer. I he love him in everything. <laughs> he's so awesome. Marry him in Twin Peaks. I'd marry him in this. Yeah. Like, ah. Yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty awesome. And, and then the other, the, the other thing, like the real unsung hero is Dina. Can we talk about Dina for a minute? She goes over there and bangs Lloyd for like years on end. And they know she's there the whole time. And then all she, the only thing she serves is she kills herself so that he doesn't get Tom's. Yeah. And she kills herself hard. Like, yeah. that is some, one badass, like, yeah. I'm just going to break this glass and then yeah. fall on it. Like, like on that is. Neck on it. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I would, if it were me and I had to kill myself in that moment, I would be picking up the glass and trying to do a slit <laughs> thing. I wouldn't fall on anything. Like, that was badass. Yeah, I, no, yeah. I respect. Gangsta. And she stabbed him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also I know it didn't really affect him at all, but right. Also, right. really ballsy. Yeah, I also liked how, like, Glenn and Dina in particular, like they were so fuck you when they met Flag, and I think that's so admirable because in my head, I'd like to think I'd be fuck you, but I'd probably soil myself, <laughs> be <and> poop, <laughs> and then like try to be like a wise ass, but I'd be all stuttery and nervous, and he'd be like, "You're sitting there, you're a beat, you're." You know, I wouldn't be able to be like Glenn who like laughs in his face. You yeah. know what I mean? Like God, you I make your you that. make your poops and your peeps. I made my poops and my peeps, and then I try to say something clever, but I fuck it up, and then <laughs> he just kills me. Like that's how I die when I meet Randall Black. <laughs> and then I'm yeah. all bad and salty in, yeah. in hell or wherever or in nothingness because yeah. you were right, and you're standing there to tell me I was right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. you were right. I could I could just see I I'd be trying to be all like cool and suave and I'd be like yeah I'm kind of it's like I'm flirting with you yeah. it's like I'm flirting but I'm actually not even interested and I, you're gonna kill me yeah. <laughs> I'm coming at you with a banana you would here's, come, you would go hard yeah here's my I, banana I would, I would sword. just try to be like yeah. <laughs> you, you buying out. it you buying it at all yeah 
Jackie, I can't picture how you would be. I don't know how I'd be. You'd be as casual as you are right now. Probably. I'd be like, like, mayhaps I'm here to kill you, mayhaps I'm not. Mayhaps you don't exist, mayhaps I'm wrong. You'd be bitching about how he doesn't exist. You don't exist, you can't have my free will, you're not even real. You know what? You kill her just to shut her the fuck up. I'll light a cigarette, I don't smoke anymore, (laughs) but I'll light a cigarette and take up those long, dramatic drags of my cigarette and be like, you know what flag? First of all, <laughs> there's two kinds of people in this world. <laughs> <laughs> you might buy some time with that, though. Like, I would. I would I'd probably this. shoot the shit with Flag for a while. I'm not gonna lie. You'd wind up I'm not gonna lie. I would, you know. I, I, I would probably shoot the shit with him for a little while. I'd maybe, you know, I'd dissuade him from so she, much denim. She would join. She would join him. Like, I don't know that I would join him. No, because like I said, I don't want to. I don't want to be under anybody's authority. Like that's not my jam. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I, let me just. You know what? I'll be your friend Anarchy from the outside. Amy. You know that you live <laughs> under so many like. No, I mean, I'm not talking about like lawful. I'm talking about like the voice of All of a sudden, you're like, I don't live under anybody's rules. I don't I do that. Fucking walk. I'm jaywalk right now. I'm not scared. <laughs> like, oh my god. I'm gonna go outside and litter. That's it. That's how I rebel. I rebel in like, like I'm gonna jaywalk. I'm gonna litter. What did you become, like, mm, don't litter. Littering's scum. Yeah, she's scumbag. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could jaywalk. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. If you get hit, that's on you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so I wanted to mention something because I thought this was distracting to the point where I had to write a note about it. <laughs> like, all of the unexplainable costume changes. Oh, like, so many. Nadine is on a bike riding to Vegas in a, this like black stra- in this black strappy thing when Harold goes over the cliff. But then, like, the next time we see her, she's back in her, you know, khaki pantsuit. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's, like, there's other times it's, like, what, why are you people even dressing anything? Like, yeah. the world is over. Brandy what are you doing? doing? Like, weird-ass fucking, like, she, I don't know if she's just trying to find clothes that fit her in the ruins <laughs> or not, but... Like, girl, what are you doing with like, outfits? I honestly feel like there would probably be, I would have, like, three outfits, and they'd be t-shirts and jeans, mm-hmm. and that's what I would cycle through. Yeah. Like, over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. The same. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the world has ended. Like, you know, you loot some stores, and, you know, suddenly I can afford White House, Black Market, you know, a, a pantsuit. Maybe I'm going <laughs> to- Mayhaps, you mayhaps yeah. I'm going to wear a pantsuit for the first yeah. time, because it's free. Well, I just, you know, like, you're, you're wearing this, you're on a bike. The, the Nadine one was the one that really yeah. gets me. Because it's like, you're clearly not carrying anything with you. And, like, you're, you just keep changing outfits. Like, you're... Like, where you did know, she get those? Yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, like, you're not Madonna with ten costume changes. Like, what the hell? Harold's were the worst to me. Harold's, Harold's story arc with, like, the he just got worse and worse. And what, I gotta tell you, I've never been... What is the opposite of turned on? Because when I saw him naked with his socks on, I wanted to bark. <laughs> like, we need we need a turn off committee for Harold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I was so schemed. Nadine really took a lot for the team, man. She did. <laughs> oh, I, I like how so she cute. also goes full Daenerys. Like yeah. after she fucks yeah. him. <laughs> Only like gray hair. With her flowy purple and like, except for no, no, nobody's there to do her braids though. (laughs) I don't know where these people get these clothes, but I gotta tell you, in the apocalypse, I'm, I'm getting outfits. You're right. I'm telling you, stores are empty and you can go in and you know what? You can get that. Like I said, that power suit. You're like, fuck it. I'm going to dress like that. 
Well, then, yeah. then I'm more concerned about the kind of clothes these people are choosing because I'm yeah, just so like psycho crazy. Nobody cares. Like oh, it'd be awesome. Too. I'd wear like these giant bell bottoms with fur coats and like, it'd be amazing. I'd go full on Mad Max. Like I'd get the skull on the top of my head. Like I would just go bonk. I have some friends that could help you with that. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Why am I not surprised that you do? <laughs> Um, I just envisioned myself in like a prom dress on a Vespa, just cause. <laughs> oh my god, I got to ride a Vespa for the first time. It was so oh, pretty. Jelly. I love Vespa, you guys. Oh no, I want a little mint green Vespa. When we live I'm in the home, we'll get a, we'll get oh, we will, we will. Oh, no, I think they're called too. Rascal Scooters. You want to come to the home with us? <laughs> all of our, we're, they're not, we're all gonna outlive yeah. our husbands. They're they're not Vespas. They're we're Rascal Scooters. Rascal. We're gonna have our Rascal Scooters. <laughs> We'll call them Vespas. We'll call them Vespas. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll just paint Vespa on the side. Yeah. Like, oh, it's totally legit, guys. I got a Sharpie marker. It's like, v- it's going to say like Vespa. Yeah. <laughs> I'll misspell it because I'm old. It's just, that's my life. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can I you in? We can fit one yeah. more in our Yeah. Um, we're going to continue Jersey Ghouls, but it'll with our unplugged microphones. Yeah, and like an Etch-a-Sketch. Because <laughs> we're not going to know. So like, yeah. my kids will be like, here, mom, do your recording. Okay. <laughs> do your recording. It'll be just like when I was a kid again, when I would record on the tapes cassette. And yes, like, yes. Do. It's yeah. the Katie show. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't believe any of us are shocked that we do podcasting because literally we all made recordings when we were Yeah. Recording. I still have tapes of my like little stupid mine. little I, you know I, I hope I can find them. Either me or Jenny has them, but we, me and my best friend growing up, we had the show. And we used very, very good name. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> making gravation. First of all, <laughs> making gravation. Oh, gravation. gravation. Sorry. <laughs> you gotta speak Spanglish. Do it correctly. <laughs> but yeah, we used to. We used to. We, I had a karaoke machine, and instead of using it as a karaoke this machine, fucking hoity-toity bitch had a karaoke uh, machine. I just spoke part. into the freaking recording. We, did, we had a little karaoke machine, and okay, instead of using it as that. We just used it as like a fucking Fisher Price tape recorder and recorded ourselves talking. <laughs> and sometimes singing. We would sometimes sing, but we mostly oh. just talked about boys. And fast forward 20 years oh, later, really? Here we See, all I, I would do commercials and oh, then I would put too. a song in between them, oh, like I mean, I, off the like radio. Free show for me. My brother and I would do entire segments and we do musical interludes yeah only like it would always like I, i'll never forget singing private eyes they're watching <laughs> and my brother kept pushing me away from the microphone and all you hear is my grandmother screaming at me to let me sing too <laughs> and i get to do the watching you i just th- you know what i need though i need some good like old lady catchphrases like sister abigail uh, mother abigail yeah. sister abigail sister abigail um, Sorry, that is a wrestling move by Bray Wyatt. <laughs> um, but no, I was just, I, I wrote that down because I remember like Abigail had quite a few awesome like old oh, lady catchphrases. So many. And I didn't get to write them all down, but I was, I was just like, yeah, when we're in the old folks home. We can do Mother Abigail catchphrases. Oh, I will. Write. On our podcast. Yeah. yeah. I think when I hit like 50, I'm going to answer everything with mayhaps I do and mayhaps I don't. Yeah. Like well, that's something that you and I have been saying for years. <laughs> that's true. Like, that yeah, goes yeah. back to college with us responding, mayhaps I do, mayhaps I don't. Yeah. And I will often say, M-O-O-N, that spells whatever I'm talking about, too, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. M-O-O-N, that spells podcast. That's going to be the name of my next podcast. I'll stand all the time. Um, so, you know, to go back to something, I'm just glancing through my notes to see if we haven't talked about anything. Uh, I'm going to go back and agree with Katie about uh, Molly Ringwald's acting oh. ability, 
because I have a note that like Stu and Fran, like there's no chemistry. Like that's such a forced coupling. It just it doesn't work with no, Stu and Fran, work. like at all. And no. and I don't want to blame that on Gary Sinise because he's he's a national treasure. Yep. So I'll blame it on Molly. Oh my god. You I said national know. treasure. Drink. I had I literally have that Every she's episode. a national treasure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> wait, you have that Molly Ringwald is a national? Molly equals national treasure. No. Okay, here's the thing. I'm not denying her treasureness. I'm just saying that when you watch her in anything other than like 16 Candles and Breakfast Club and that, that stuff, you realize that she's really not good at it. Like she, when other people are talking, you can tell that she doesn't know what to do. And when she... <laughs> And she'll say something like with an emotion and then immediately and goes, just shut down and be like, like, and then yeah, she doesn't know an open mouth, like two deep breathers. She'll be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit like that. And it's just, it's her like, and open. she says her lines like with this, like it's only important to her that she says it and it's not in any way reacting to anyone else around her. Like, I'm sure she would have a very successful one-woman show. Jesus Christ, let's hope we don't meet her that we have to go back and cut this episode, too. <laughs> like I said, still a national treasure. Don't back Not up. a good actress. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, she does this, like, deer in headlights line delivery sometimes where she delivers a line. What about her tears? Yeah, she delivers that. a line and I'm her sure eyes are real. like... Her eyes are so big. She's like, oh my God, Stu, the baby. The baby, Stu. And her eyes are gigantic <laughs> wide. Well, and so much, so much of this movie is this over-the-top soap opera acting. And I love it. I Me can't too. even hate oh, it. Like, it's it. so... And it's all over. 90s sitcom stars. Yeah. It makes me really happy, well, too. Like, nobody knows who Parker and, Lewis is anymore. You know what's, what I think is so funny is, too, is that... King really wanted like Christopher Walken or someone like that to be flagged. And um, Miguel Ferrer wanted to be flagged. And then they saw, what was it? Um, Miguel Ferrer would have been a better flag. Whisper. Oh, I, I know. Sheridan is such a good flag. Yeah. And it was like Whisper in the Dark or something. <laughs> like so there's, there's some movie he's in. And uh, he's, but he was Ferrer, Ferrer knew him and was like, hey, like come try out for this and it's a very like Steven Weber the shining kind of situation where they really just couldn't find him and then this guy who just had done a tv show walks in and maybe a tv movie or something and they're like oh okay you're our flag or as with Steven Weber it was your because it was the same situation yeah. on both on both of them where they were like are we even gonna be able to do this we can't find this guy and none of our A-listers want to do it. One of the things that I love about Jamie, is that his name, Jamie Sheridan? <laughs> Jamie Sheridan, yeah. I love his flag, is he has that masterful, like that-, that Masterful. Masterful. <laughs> yeah. He has that, he has mastered that cocky half smile. Like he has this smirk on his face most of the time that I'm like, that, to me, like that is flag. Like, that is that, like, I'm going to be the cool, denim, like, persuasive, like, come to nobody, my evil side. Nobody wears that much denim. It's cool. No. 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 I <laughs> did in, like, 1992. Yeah. But, you know, somebody got You know, and I also loved when it, it is what? It's after, it's before Nadine kills herself when they're up in his suite. And, like, he gets all angry and, like, oh, he, he, puts his, baby he puts his hands in the front of his pants like Al Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> he's 
Dude, when he has his Kylo Ren tantrum, I'm like, I fucking can't. Like, what is he doing right now? Get your shit together, Randall. God damn it. Well, and that's why that's why Ferrer's great too, because I, that when the when he throws all the stuff all over the thing, and he's like, "Did you enjoy your drink?" And it's like, he's "Yeah, like, it's, all, it's all over the wall." Yeah, it's pretty yeah. ballsy. It's like a super awesome delivery, and then, uh-huh. but yeah, like I liked Sheridan how he kind of had this sense of humor and he was very maniacal, and he wasn't like I think the balance too between Lloyd and um, Flag made up for a really interesting viewing because he is like I think Flag, well at least. Um, from what I know of Flag, um, which is a man in black, uh, Martin, um, is like, yeah, he is, he's, he has a sense of humor. He knows that he's like, he's doing wicked things and he enjoys it. It's very Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah, and it's funny because thinking of Eyes of the Dragon, which is my only other like in my head thing with Flag, is that it is, he's very cunning and very like mischievous almost, you know, in how he delivers his evil. So yeah, that make, I guess that makes sense. I don't know, I don't, I, he is like the most unattractive version of flag i could like well i'm not i'm not looking at him for attractiveness oh i, I was <laughs> like, like oh, I, I no, no no okay i'm not i'm not looking at him to be attractive like he's like i said he's he's the he's not 1994 villain i was like he's not sure. he's not i wouldn't call him attractive but at the same time he's not unattractive he's charming he's persuasive he's there's like there's the method to the madness. When there's the he agenda. He starts undressing though. I in with Nadine. I want to barf. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that was a, that was a yeah. surprising turn. Yeah. Of, like yeah. like you and know she's pretty, but uh, she's so fu- like she's so whacked that you're like just feel bad for her. So you can't even enjoy her her PG made for TV nudity. Which PS they never get away with that made um, <laughs> for TV series. So. <laughs> Um, also, oh, and I'm going to throw this down because I know I'm probably the only one at the table who feels this way. I love Mick Garris's The Shining, Need for TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, about that one. I have a new appreciation, but I just, the kid, the, the kid, kid bugs the hell out of me. <laughs> just, just shut your little mouth. Oh, like when I watched The Babadook or when I tried to watch The Babadook, but couldn't finish it because I wanted to punch my TV because the kid was so annoying. Well, at least the kid in that is cute. He's just a fucking ass. No, he's not cute. He's not as bad as the kid from The Shining. The kid from The Shining is terrible. Oh, God, that kid. Seriously, did he get like facial reconstruction done? Jesus. Oh, yeah. He, he kind of actually looks like he had a cleft palate. <laughs> it looks like one of those kids. Real? You know oh, what? It's, <laughs> it's been a while since I've watched the made for TV Shining. I just remember that I love Steven Weber because Wings is always one of my favorite yeah, shows. Who um, and Rebecca Dean Mornay was great as Wendy. Oh, I forgot that she was Wendy. I just mm. enjoyed the fact I'm that like, it was. I just uh, I remember that I enjoyed it because it was so fake. Yes, it was yeah. so faithful to the book. Yeah. Well, and that's I, that's what King said about uh, Garrus because I think this is really interesting. Is that the the King met Garrus because of Sleepwalkers, and which okay, like you people cat disease, oh, like fucking fever dreams. But so, but this makes a lot of sense to me because what King said that the thing that he loves about Garrus is that Garrus takes what is given to him at this very faithful face value he doesn't question any of the meaning behind it and is just like how can i best display this for the for the purpose of which it was written like he didn't he doesn't try to manipulate it he doesn't try like he manipulates it so that it can tell the story better but not so that it impacts it's 
very different from what Kubrick did. <laughs> it's like the exact opposite yeah. of how Kubrick yeah. did it. And so after when work after working with him on that, that was when he kind of started championing the idea of Garris doing um, the stands because yeah. they originally okay this film went through four. Uh, directors or like people that it was tossed to uh, first it was being first it was yeah first it was Romero they actually the reason creep show was even made was to fund a movie version of the stand and then yeah Argento was tossed it after Romero kind of got they, they couldn't get any studios behind Romero um and then uh when they started looking at tv they got wanted John Borman and then when the script was actually completed before and like and Mick our uh King was already like, I want Mick Garris, I want Mick Garris. They were like, how about Brian De Palma? And they were like, no. And he's like, no, I want Mick Garris. And they were like, he's like, I'm not making it without him. And that's how this happened. And th therefore the re relationship that happened from that, which led to The Shining and um, Riding the Bullet and all those other ones. He and Darabont are like the kings of king. Yeah. I can't help but wonder what Argento or Romero would have done with it though. Mm -hmm. Romero would have been, I think, really interesting. I think Argento is a visually captivating storyteller, but I have a hard time with him doing something so Midwest. Yeah, that's a good point. So American and also so character driven. I don't think that's his strong suit. No, I think his strong suit is the visuals. I think I enjoy a lot of his movies um, because of how they look, not necessarily how they're told. Uh, it got six primetime Emmy nominations. It got a win for makeup effects. Nice. That scarecrow face and that demon face and Ooh, uh, trash, trash man's makeup and <laughs> um, well and because they had such a limited shooting schedule, they couldn't do facial hair on their guys. So they would they would cut their long hair and attach it to their face with static electricity. They would like electrify them and then stick hair on their faces. Oh, that's and funny. Uh, so that yeah, and so it was Stephen Steve Johnson and XFX makeup won awards. I also would argue that the Lincoln Tunnel scene creeps me out so bad. <laughs> like the idea of having to walk yeah. through the Lincoln Tunnel, like having grown up there and like spent so much time going across the bridge and the tunnel, so fucking terrifying. I don't know why he didn't take the bridge. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and actually, Eli was was going to be here with us because he knew Mise on Scream was going to be on tonight. But unfortunately, he's out in the desert looking for nukes, so I don't think <laughs> yeah. he's going to make it tonight. Yeah, he ran off going on his scooter. <laughs> no. but I like. I can only assume he means Marissa, but oh yeah. no, I. <laughs> You're his, you're his demigod. <laughs> I don't know about all that. I also heard him singing Baby Can You Dig Your Man, so he was into it. He was into this episode. <laughs> Randall does the sexy version of he it. He does. Baby, can you dig your man? He's a righteous man. Tell me, baby, can you dig your man? <laughs> oh, Katie, as always, thank you so much for, for being on tonight. Oh, thank you for having me so, so much. Yes, we'll have to have you on again when we do The Shining. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> My whole note is, uh, is the kid is terrible. <laughs> just like, yeah, so, all right. And, and just like how Zach, unfortunately, could not be here this evening. Yes. The notes he left me were, this needs more Rob Lowe. Agreed. And then the second note is, Rob Lowe doesn't talk. I'm not watching this. <laughs> Tell us, remind, remind our lovelies at home, where can we hear me's on screen? EliRoth.com. <laughs> <laughs> Official <kidding>. sponsors. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Don't go there. <laughs> Don't go there. It's probably scurry. <laughs> uh, go ahead. You can, find us, you can find us at Eli Roth on Instagram. 
<laughs> official at Eli Roth official. If you want to talk to us, just at Eli Roth. He'll, he'll get the message to us. Too sweet. A- a- AMA. <laughs> Um, no, you could uh, find us at misenstream.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Misenstream, the cure for the common horror podcast. And Jackie, what I was going to mention is what it is called when uh, disease wipes out everything unbeknownst is a Malthusian error. And that is the kind of analytical analysis and theoretical stuff that you can hear on Misenstream. That's right. And chances are I would mispronounce it. I'd be like, Malthusian, Malthusian. Malthusian. Yep, and that's the kind of stuff I could also So when Katie gets smart, I show how stupid I am. <laughs> and also, if you're looking to join the Eli Roth fan club, you can come over to mesonscreen.com and click on the link uh, where Eli is. <laughs> Make me add that link. Yeah, you have to add a fake link. Yeah. And it'll just take you to Jersey Ghouls. Yeah. <laughs> where else can we find Jersey Ghouls? We can find Jersey Ghouls on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, both our page. Join our Facebook group. Come talk to us. Come say hi. We love interacting with you guys. So, uh, yeah, like it, love it, subscribe it, both Jersey Ghouls and Mise on Scream. Give us both all the love that you have. And if you want to check out my acoustic version of Baby Can You Dig Your Bed, please check it out on Facebook. I'm going to be going live to perform it. Acoustic. Just like (laughs) uh, Alanis Morissette Unplugged. It's going to be legendary. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'll bring it back unplugged, you guys. I know. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yes, you should be. <laughs> Eli's going to do backup. He's going to do the tambourine. <laughs> He's going to be in the back going, He's a righteous man. <laughs> I just can't wait till we get our cease and desist. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's when we get our standee air cardboard cut out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I hope so. All right, guys. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode on the stand. Thank you again, Katie, for joining us, and we will see you guys next time. M O O N. That spells of a bye. And now, by request from Bay Ridge, Larry Underwood, and Baby, can you dig your man? Well, Baby, can you? listening to the Geekscape Network.